welcome to another Mat Chat podcast with me, Mina, where I invite guests to sit on a yoga mat with me, as it were, and share thoughts on all things well-being. My intention is to leave you feeling uplifted and empowered. If you want to know more about my yoga teaching in my book, then please visit my website, minablair.com. Today, I'm chatting with my friend Sarah Cox, a keen yogi herself, She's also a multi-faith minister, spiritual counsellor, and founder of Zephorium Soul Tonic. And we are going to be talking about a collective approach to our mental health. So hi, Sarah. Here we are having another chat. Hello, Mina. And um, we were talking, talking the other day, weren't we, about um, what you have been writing in your blog and also what I have been writing in my blog which is around mental health and the power of groups and the collective, which aren't entirely unrelated, I don't think. And we might sort of go into that as we chat. But this was really all brought on, wasn't it, by a remark, a comment that your partner's mum made the other day, which on the face of it we thought was funny. But actually, there was a lot behind it, really, isn't there? Mm, There is. Yeah, so Muriel, my lovely mother-in-law, said to me, Sarah, why is everyone mental these days? (laughs) And I kind of laughed and I said, oh, what do you mean? You know, she said, well, everybody's mental, aren't they? And what she meant, of course, was that so many people seem to be having mental health problems. And she she's completely bewildered by it because she is um, of that generation. She's 90 this year. You know, she said to me, I don't think people know what stress is. Because she said during the war, she was doing her final exams And some planes flew over, some German bombers, and the air raid signs went off, the signals went off. And all the teacher said was, right, get under your desks and finish your paper, your exams, under the desk and no talking. So this was in the middle of uh, air raid sirens going off, bombs dropping around London. So to her, people being stressed about something not physical by fears or stress is just incomprehensible. Yeah, I think there's a definite generational thing there, isn't there? I I did a podcast a while back with my friend Malcolm, who is uh, 83, and he also remembers the war and growing up in the war. And I asked him, in fact, the podcast was about how did people deal with uncertainty and, and chaos in those days? And he also reflected that it seems that people are not as resilient these days and that back in the day, people did just get on. I mean, sort of in a stiff upper lip way, but with the help of others, it's as if people kind of knew that life could be a bit grim, but then everybody sort of harnessed together and kind of problem solved and supported each other through it. And I guess over the years, that has kind of slipped away, do you think? Well, I think maybe it's to do with, um, you know, the comfortable lives that we live, as we know. We don't really have that much stress. You know, we we get a bit overwrought if we break a nail or if the hair tongs are not working properly. You know, that to us can be stress. Um, Like with my dad, you know, who's nearly 102. And he he remembers being in the um, Navy in the Atlantic and on ships and they were um protecting fleet to carrying food to britain and he remembers you know a couple of the ships being torpedoed and sinking and people you know throwing themselves off the ship 
followed by the oil that, that would then spread out into the sea, catch fire and catch them up and burn them to death. You know, he was watching that from their ship and they were not allowed to stop. So their level of stress and what we think is stressful is very different. And it doesn't mean that it's better or worse or it was just very, very different. You know, looking back now, we know that the war was won. We all recovered. You know, it was sort of we've continued with life. But back then they didn't have a clue what was coming. No. And I'm I'm wondering if that's got something to do with control. In other words, that there was a general understanding and acceptance that you... There are things that you just can't control. And in those situations, you just have to do the best that you can. Mm. So understanding in that situation that you can't rescue those people burning and having to just sort of, yeah, well, accept that and then move on Mm. and not sort of dwell there, but that that experience would have been shared by everybody on that ship, you know, by the whole group of people in that situation. And it does make me wonder whether we have kind of lost that sort of sense of grounding in a way you know that if you are part of a society where people generally are there for each other um, and you are part of a community and you've got your roots and you've got your friends and so on so that when external things happen like a war people then naturally kind of coalesce don't they they sort Mm -hmm. of bring to come together and sort of problem solve and help each other but it just feels like I don't know what you think, but I feel like this is more the age of the individual. Maybe it's been brought on by the internet and social media. You know, there's a lot of I, I, I and a lot of what I want, what I need, isn't there, Mm. in the younger generations. And which is all fine and great and it's fun, you could argue and so on. But you see, when the big things happen then that come at you like a pandemic or a cost of living crisis or rising energy bills or something like that, now suddenly that's like high stress i mean i would call that a fairly stressful challenge to be facing but if you are kind of not grounded and don't feel anything around the collective sort of sharing then i'd imagine you would feel very stressful yes and i i do think that the invisible threats can often be worse than the than the physical one you know you and i are both counselors and we know that the Obviously, abuse is awful and whatever form it comes at is wrong. But the hardest abuse to treat is the mental abuse. People who've been beaten is one thing. People who've been emotionally destroyed is completely another. Mm. Yeah, I I think there's definitely something in that. And I think people are not as resilient, I think, to accept that there are things greater than themselves that they can't control. And so when it happens... It feels really overwhelming Mm. and it feels like people don't know where to go for support, you know. They They sort of struggle, don't they? Well, and I think there's also this thing we've touched on a lot before about, you know, people don't seem to think that they should die. (laughs) Death isn't an option. It's not for me. (laughs) It's for everyone else, but not for me. You know, I think looking back to our, you know, to Malcolm and Muriel and my dad's generation growing up, you know, death was very close to them. There were no antibiotics. They had to look after their bodies, didn't they, in, in ways that we're now learning, relearning how to get back into. Um, and, you know, if you had a child, it wasn't guaranteed that it would live. Mm. Or even the mother would live. Because if infection set in, that could be it. So we, we've come to this sort of strange place where we think we're untouchable by the laws of nature. 
Yeah, and, and I, I, there's definitely something there, isn't there, about being over-safe, almost. You, you think you are invincible. And then, of course, something like the pandemic hits and talking to uh, my daughter who works in a primary school, she can see, it's quite clear, those children in the two years of the pandemic are a lot more um, emotionally distressed. They cry more easily. They cry more frequently. And that is because those children have been in an environment at home and not been connected to the collective, as it were. Mm. They've just been at home with their parents who themselves have been feeling really stressed. And because they haven't been able to cope, the whole family have sort of been feeding off this stress with no release and no tools to deal with it. I mean, how many families would have known how to like get together and meditate and practice yoga or something? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking back to my grandparents, who, if my parents were stressed, which they were quite frequently, we would go to our grandparents, who were calm and steady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they were just steady. And that was our way of escaping from, you know, that was our valve that helped us to release the stress. But people couldn't even do that with their kids. So where was the release for people? Yeah, and what was great, you know, about the grandparents, I remember my granny as well and my American grandparents, they, well, they always had, had time, didn't they, for, for, for you, first of all, but um, they just told you it was all going to be all right, didn't they? Mm. And they meant it, and you could feel it. And you were saying the other day about if a child encounters some stressful situation and is told in a yeah so amount of time yeah yeah so talk about that yes it was a paper I read years ago and I didn't write it down which was really silly because I should have but there was a lot of research done after the um, war in Yugoslavia about um, children and stress and trauma so kids there were seeing their parents being blown up and. All sorts of hideous things going on. And what they found is the children who were hugged by an adult within 45 minutes, 40 or 45 minutes of the trauma, and told that everything will be okay, I'm I'm looking after you, it's all okay, didn't suffer from post-traumatic stress. And all the other children did. And I think I don't think that that would stop at children. I think that's relevant for adults as well. We kind of need to know that all is okay. And then our fight and flight can switch off or downregulate so that we can then come back to normal breathing and back to normal thinking, you know, okay, there's danger, but it's past. Yeah, I mean, I cannot imagine anything more terrifying than being a child and sensing that the adults are not okay. Hmm. That's like really well, scary, isn't hang it? On. I mean, Didn't we both grow up like that? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Look, look what happened. Look to us. at us. Oh God! <laughs> Years of therapy. <laughs> That's right. No, but yeah, but it's true. And and we have then, as a result, spent our lives finding tools on how to regulate ourselves. Mm. I think this is the key thing, isn't it? And mm. this was certainly a lot of work that I did in my counselling days was helping people to find ways to regulate themselves. So when the thing came, the trigger which made you feel stressed or angry or out of control for some reason, then you were able to put that into context, release the emotion, and then, as you say, find the find the balance again. So how did you do that then? What did you ask people to do? Well, we, you know, we would look at the situation and and then kind of 
sort of tease it out a little bit so that they could step back and get the big picture. So first of all, you have to sort of normalize it for them, whatever that thing was, and help them to understand that there was a good reason to be angry or frightened or whatever. And then talk about how maybe next time what would be something helpful. So do they have... Do they have a friend that they can talk to? Is there, uh, is there an adult that they can talk to? Maybe things like uh, keeping a diary or uh, activities that they enjoyed. So, for example, asking them, is there something that you enjoy doing where you are calm and at peace, maybe like a hobby or something, and start to give them some ideas on what they can do to manage themselves because that's what you want people to do don't you you don't want people running around hysterically at the drop of a hat yeah and I guess that's learning to self-hug yourself isn't it when something happens to as quick as you can embrace yourself and say it's okay you're safe we can handle this differently yeah in the absence of people who can hug you yes right so again if there aren't people around who can help you with those emotions sort of you know contain them and make them okay for you then ultimately it is up to you then Mm. isn't it Mm. but you know it's um it was was very interesting this whole topic actually and I I do write more about it in my blog this month is around my trip to the Faroe Islands which was like stepping I don't know whether it was like stepping back in time or or to, to to the way we used to be in sort of more primeval times but this is 18 volcanic rocks in the middle of the Atlantic, which forms this country. And there are 54,000 people that live there. Got a long history related to the Vikings and everything. Very interesting. But what I noted immediately on arrival, I was actually there with a knitting group. So I arrived in a collective, which was fabulous, by the way. I absolutely loved it. Hanging out with ladies and knitting and chatting. And oh, it was just beautiful. But what I noticed about our teacher, who is a local Faroese lady... And also the guy who took us on most of the excursions around the islands, also Faroese, were their total sense of calm and groundedness. They were, they kind of emanated a a sort of a confidence. And because they were confident and rooted and knew who they were and were clearly completely connected into their environment and their nature, the wild, raw nature of the Faroe Islands, they were happy, they were light, they were extremely open and kind and just their vibe was was really quite interesting. It, they were definitely, to use an analogy, big trees rooted in the earth. So when the winds came, be it literally winds or stuff like pandemic, they were going to be calm. These trees were not going to be blown over. And I really felt that. And I thought, gosh, if I could just like make a pill that's called the Faroe Island vibe and give that to people, then I think it would be wonderful because then people would feel so different about everything. Do you think that's because they are more connected to nature? So I think you said in one of your one of your um, little shares that the winds are 200 miles an hour or something. Yeah. You know, this is a different league of living with nature, isn't it? Oh, it's totally, yeah. So uh, when you build a house on the Faroe Islands, uh, they have to withstand minimum 150 kilometres per hour, which is like 100 miles per hour or something like that. This is really strong winds. That's just like to build a house. So everything that happens on the Faroe Islands 
needs to take nature into account, you know. So if you are living on an island where you have to get on a ferry to go places, well, you won't be doing that unless you are aware of the weather. Is the ferry going today? Mm. How, how, how rough are the seas? How mm. high are the winds? And so they are never not connected to something greater than their, you know, than mm. themselves. Mm. And therefore, when you present a group of people like that who are naturally together and who rely on each other quite literally for survival yeah. um, and have to be kind to each other and so on and, and, you know, in that sort of cooperative way, then when they get the big things dropped down on them like pandemic, they are going to react differently. Mm. Yeah, what a lovely thing to experience going and being among them. Oh, it was just fabulous. I, I, it really made a huge impression on me, I have to say. But you see, there's no reason why we can't all kind of channel a bit of that, though. You mm. know what I mean? Mm. So what do we need to do? Because if we're looking at, you know, our mental health and... And the need to be in the collective, which I really, I always have that longing, but I'm a little bit resistant to it as well. I love community, but I don't, I don't want to be too enmeshed, mm. you know, which is always, of course, about my story. But I do long for that. So how can we do that? I'm kind of changing my tune just a little bit, because like you, I've been fiercely independent, mm. you know. Um, and again, huge backstory as to why I like to go things alone, really, and and I have spoken before in blogs and on podcasts about enjoying going solo on solo travels and things like that, which is which I do. But I'm also understanding that to, as a balance, humans need to also, because we are social animals, ultimately, we need to be connected to, to something, mm. I think, um, some kind of community. And that can be, it can be, I don't know, like a hobby or a group or a common interest thing. Um, some people get along really well at work, don't they? Some people are yes, lucky and, they do, and have yeah. got really nice work environments where mm. people gather to work towards a common aim. Mm. So a fulfilling job would be great. I know a lot of people don't have fulfilling jobs, which again is the stress, isn't yes. it? You see, yes. So we're, we're back to the yeah. stress trigger. And the reason why people are so stressed about their work and their workplace is because the behavior and the vibe there is not conducive to to people thriving, mm. is it? No. It's it's, it's competitive or aggressive or yeah. critical or whatever. Yeah, so maybe through the hobbies is a more reliable way of doing it. Like you, you said with the knitting, I remember about 20-odd years ago, I used to teach arts and crafts in the evenings, just really for the fun, but I had a group of about 8 to 12 people, and we did it for a few years, and I taught them glass painting and we'd have a go at ceramics and then we'd have a go at painting and drawing and all kinds of wonderful things making little pots and oh it was great fun but the the thing that was fun about it was the fact that we were it was all women for no reason but it just happened to be and we were all around the table and we were just talking and so I would have been 30s then and it was my homecoming We'd just be fiddling around with bits of clay, making little things. Oh, yours is lovely. Oh, what have you done with that? Oh, you put, you know, and then chatting. And and I found that was where some of the, the deepest wisdom I've ever heard came about. When our hands and minds were busy doing something, it seemed to bypass the brain, the analytical brain, and then the wisdom just poured forth. So I really understand when you say about knitting with these women. And I'm thinking, I want to do something. I'm going to start something 
I don't know what, once a month or once a week, round my table, creating. Yeah. I and think with people. I think this is the key. I think there's something here about the creative that is calming and soothing and fun. Um, and you normally things that are creative can be shared. Yes. Um, so groups of people painting, groups of people with ceramics, as you say, you don't mm. have to do that in isolation. Mm. And you bounce off each other, don't you? Yeah. Ideas and things. And I had a whole week of that with on the Faroe Islands, as you said, listening to people looking at other people's knitting and feeling hugely inspired. Mm. There were some ladies there that knitted so beautifully. I mean, they were really impressive. And I came away with that thinking, oh, yeah, I've, I've got something to work towards. So immediately, you see, my soul feels nurtured. My heart feels warmed. I've made friends now with these people. So we're, we're, we're connecting on WhatsApp groups and stuff like that. And so it's really important to dip in regularly mm. to something like that and well, as my knitting um, teacher said, the Faroese lady, Katrina, she said that uh, when she put up a slide introducing herself and what we were going to do, her first bullet point said, everyone is creative. Yeah. <laughs> Just in case you were sitting there. Just in case. Yeah, thinking, yeah, but not me. Yeah, which was me, because I was looking around. I mean, these women were, were just streets ahead of me. But, but she just wanted to remind us all that, no, we've all got something to contribute. Mm. We all have ideas. Mm. And when you get into a group, that's when these things can grow. Mm. And the humour too, don't you think? Do you, oh, yeah. Do you remember the humour? I remember, oh, I remember when I got a bag of clay out and whacked it on the table and said to everybody, right, let's get stuck in and make things, just do whatever you want. Well, my goodness, it was all very suggestive and rude <laughs> and we had such a laugh. <laughs> because, you know, you revert back to being spontaneous and children and you can't get it wrong and it doesn't matter if you do do something. I don't know if that's how it was in your group, but I think that level of letting go is critical for us now yeah yeah and of course it was facilitated by Katrina with her open heart and her loving manner I mean she would go around the, the table and look at what people were knitting and she just put her arm around them and give them a hug and say oh this looks lovely yes no you're doing really well so if you just carry on with that and then obviously when it's this lot da 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 and she was just so giving mm. and this is what I mean because she is so relaxed in herself and who she is when you are so receptive you can also give in the same way there's this joyous balance there yeah and yeah um yeah yeah really lovely so get creative people yes. this is the thing yes find some people you can do stuff with and then do it yeah just get on with it so when are we going to start the knitting group well, of Midhurst? I, I think, I think <laughs> I'm up for that. Or something else. Yeah. I what think, should we do? Let's do something. What else can we do other um, than knitting well, if people aren't knitters? We could all bring something to the table that we can teach. We right. can do a, we could do something every two weeks or something from or weekly from September onwards, or, you know, October, whatever, to Christmas. And we each bring a skill that we can show other people how to do. That would be fun. I can bring my art stuff. I would love to. Well, you're a fabulous that. painter, see, so immediately that would make me feel inferior and, yeah. <laughs> and worried because I really can't draw. Sarah tells me that I can, but she I, can. I, I no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. And of course, my knitting is very strange. And you are, so you've got these tiny needles making immaculate, perfect, beautiful things. And <laughs> so I go into, oh God. 
Yeah, I, I think it's just about being with, you know, I think for me, I need a space to be with other women as well. Yeah. And, and not being exclusive to men, because I love men and doing things with men. But I think the importance of spending time with other women and sharing wisdom, because we do go through things that men don't, just as men go through things that we don't. And it's really nice sometimes to just get it all out on the table and laugh. Yeah, no, I agree. We could even just get together with our with our little creative projects and just do chat. our own thing as do we're our doing own it. Thing. Right. I could bring my knitting. Are, you, are we committing? Yeah. Okay. We so, are. <laughs> so anybody local to anybody us, local who wants to come, come around, uh, bring us some embroidery or yeah, some anything, drawing, whatever you're doing, come around and we we should we'll, get together. Yeah. I think we do. You've got our emails for both Mina and yeah. myself. If you've got some other ideas as well, very welcome. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Cool. Well, there we are. I think we've sorted out now mental health. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, lovely. See you again another time. Take care. Bye. Bye.